Tonight on Huckabee, Coach Kennedy fights for religious freedom. TBN show host Mike Rowe, world barbecue champ Myron Mixon, Kristen music icon Natalie Grant. Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Well, thank you, everyone. We are so very happy to have a great audience here with us tonight. But I got to begin with uh, a rather sad note. One of the real dear friends of our show, she's been with us before, passed away last week, Naomi Judd, who, along with her daughter Winona, created a magical musical memory of the Judds from back in the 1980s. Extraordinary music and talent. And her story itself is just uh, very special. A nurse that uh, had a dream to be a country singer, and boy, did she ever succeed. Unfortunately, the day before she was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, uh, she passed away. And our hearts are broken, because she was a delightful and lovely lady. On this show, sometimes people will ask me, Who's your most memorable interview? And I've had a lot. And between this show and the one I used to do at Fox, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, but when people say, tell me about one of your most memorable interviews, I always very quickly say, when I got to visit with Naomi Judd and she told me something about Dolly Parton that I was totally not expecting. I want to just take you back because I want you to remember Naomi like I do. This lovely, beautiful, talented, and just delightfully candid woman who was so special. Watch this. I have Dolly Parton for a girlfriend. <laughs> I've seen her naked. <laughs> anyway. I just want the audience to know I have not. <laughs> oh, I tell you, it's just a beautiful memory. Her saying that. And, and I had so many people ask me, was that scripted? I said, are you kidding? No, it was not. And they said, are we going to edit it? And I said, absolutely not. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen on television. <laughs> I will cherish the memory of Naomi Judd. Well, Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel recently announced that the GOP would not be participating in the presidential debates that are conducted by the Commission on Presidential Debates in 2024. I was thrilled to hear that. I was, because quite frankly, it is long overdue in having a chairman who refuses to sell out the party to an increasingly biased and partisan panel of political hacks. Hacks who have allowed the debates to become disgusting forums for some talking heads from newsrooms to pretend that they were more important than the people who actually had the guts to run for office and who endured the grueling process of a campaign. Now, this move by Ronna McDaniel will prevent the preening prima donnas of the media from actually engaging in the debate, as when former, and I say, 
thank goodness, former Fox News employee Chris Wallace, decided to go beyond asking questions and sought to debate President Trump himself. Apparently because he didn't think Joe Biden was doing it very well. <laughs> but I suggest that Chairman McDaniel take it even a step further and take control of the entire process of debates in the primaries as well. Let me elaborate. The primaries are not actually a process for the public. No, they're really not. They are solely a party function so that the political party, be it Democrat or Republican, select their nominee to be in the general election, which is for the general public. But since the primaries ought to be about giving the people aligned with the specific party the opportunity to see their candidates in the best light, here are my suggestions. And by the way, it comes from being on dozens of debate stages as a presidential candidate in two different election cycles and having a little skin in the game and a few scars on my back. <laughs> Here's what I suggest. The party should set the date, the times, the rules, the venue, and access. They should allow news organizations to broadcast it, but not control it. There is no need for so-called moderators, which is nothing more than a bunch of news goons asking questions that they come up with, which often aren't even about the issues Republican voters care about. And even worse, the arrogant anchors often spend two minutes asking a very detailed question and then say to the candidate, you have 30 seconds to answer. And then they ring a bell or a buzzer like it's a dang game show. <laughs> Seriously? Hey, don't have tier debates with top polling candidates on one stage with lesser polling candidates on a secondary stage because that level of preferential treatment becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that those on the lesser stage will never be given a fair hearing. Put the names of all the candidates in a hat, draw them out randomly just before the debate. Candidates will each be given the exact amount of time at the very beginning, and the order of participation will be randomly drawn. Candidates will determine how much time they use for each of their opportunities. And when they use up their time, they're finished, and their microphone is turned off. Because see, the purpose of the moderator then would be just to be a timekeeper and a facilitator of the order. And instead of questions being asked from someone in the media, the candidates ask each other questions, or they can make statements if they'd rather. And if directly attacked by another candidate, the candidate who is attacked gets an additional 30 seconds to respond. And the 30 seconds that he gets to use for his response will be deducted from the person who does the attacking. How about that? <laughs> and at the end of the regulation time, each candidate then would have a set time for summation, either a minute, 90 seconds, maybe even up to two minutes. But a candidate is allowed to use his or her time to ask a question of another candidate but candidates are still limited to the overall time limit. Here's the result, a real debate from the candidates and not the media people who aren't even on the ballot and whose opinions no one really wants to hear. So there you go, RNC and DNC. You see, I just fixed it for you. <laughs> And then we'll have real candidate debates instead of rigged game shows designed for ratings and revenues for the TV people.
With our freedoms constantly under attack, it's easy to get discouraged, but there are plenty of reasons to stay hopeful. Beyond the encouraging news out of the Supreme Court this week, we've got those like Coach Joe Kennedy and Kelly Shackelford fighting hard for religious liberty. And we're gonna talk to them about their Supreme Court case right after the break. It is an amazing development. You don't wanna miss it, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Joe Kennedy is a former public school football coach. He's been in a very public legal battle for the last seven years. That's after he was forced out of his job for post-game prayers that critics say violated the First Amendment and test the separation of church and state. Well, on April 25th of this year, Coach Kennedy got his day at the Supreme Court of the United States, and the court's decision, expected to come down in just a matter of weeks, could be one of the most consequential decisions that has happened yet in the fight for religious liberty in this country. Please welcome a real hero, someone who stood tall, Coach Joe Kennedy and President and CEO of First Liberty Institute, Kelly Shackelford. You got some fans out here, Coach. <laughs> you know, Gosh, if the people up in Oregon had cheered you like this, my goodness, you'd have won every game, wouldn't you? Oh, I tell you. you we, maybe we could have got some more money for our booster club then. <laughs> I, I don't want to belabor, because this is a long saga, but basically this is all about that because of your convictions as a believer, at the end of every game, you would go by yourself to the 50-yard, just go out on the field, take a knee, and you would say a prayer to the Lord, thanking him for the blessing of being able to be there. You weren't praying only when you won, you prayed win or lose, and you just felt that you had that obligation to acknowledge the Lord. Some of your players decided they would just join you. You never asked them, you certainly didn't force them. And some people got bent out of shape over the fact that after the game, you had a prayer. What was it that bugged them so bad about that? Well, interesting enough, it really all started from a compliment that one of the administrators from a different school saw what we were doing after a football game to see two football teams that were trying to kill each other, yeah. you know, <laughs> actually putting their arms around each other and having a moment of peace and, and sportsmanship. And that's what started the whole investigation was a compliment. Well, no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> Coach. You know that. So uh, they filed a complaint. They ultimately gave you the boot. That is correct. I mean, that's just hard for me to believe that they fired you for this. And they told you that if you just quit praying, everything would be all right. You could just quietly go away. Why did you say, no, I got to do this? Well, I really, you know, went back and forth on that. Yeah. I mean, I was weak in the flesh and I wanted to just be with my football team. And I almost would have done anything for that. But there's the inner part of me that was a Marine for 20 years. And that, that fighting spirit there's no way I could ever give up. And also, what kind of message would that send to my guys? Mm. I'd never be able to look at myself in the, in the mirror and sit there and tell them to try to kill themselves. And then all of a sudden, I 
just stop because it became uncomfortable for me. I had to do leadership by example, and I, I would do that to the end. Kelly, uh, a lot of people don't understand that organizations like First Liberty Institute are the key for us being able, and I'm speaking of us as, as believers, being able to right these wrongs because uh, Coach here would never have had the resources to hire an attorney. It would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. Uh, when people give money to organizations like yours, it empowers you to represent him at no cost to the coach, but to stand up for his liberty so he has a fighting chance to have his First Amendment rights. Why did First Liberty get involved in his case? What was it about his case that attracted you and said, this is one we've got to take? Well, it, I mean, and you're right. And, and I would point out in our cases, we involve volunteer attorneys as well, who are the best litigators at the best law firms, who, who are believers, yeah. but who've never gotten to do a case like this. Mm. And we team, we have these dream teams. Uh, and I mean, he can tell you about the dream team uh, we've had. But it's, it's so important because if we don't have this, we'll all lose our, yeah. our constitutional rights because the average person, I mean, I'm thinking of a little five-year-old girl we represented who was caught praying over her meal. They couldn't go and hire a team of attorneys. Yet if, if we don't stand for her and those rights aren't vindicated, we all end up losing all of our freedom. So that's why First Liberty is, exists so that people can have the best representation in the country free of charge so that not only that person wins, but it sits a precedent that protects all of our children and our grandchildren. Kelly, it's so important. This case didn't just die in a small courtroom somewhere. It has now bubbled up all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. What's at stake? It's a, this is a huge case. A lot of people don't realize this. This is the first case ever in the history of our country at the Supreme Court on the rights of teachers or coaches with regard to their faith. There's never been a decision. Ever. So this is going to affect everybody across the country. It's a teacher, a coach. And actually, during the oral argument, it, it seemed like it got even bigger because there's, I don't want to get real technical, but for 50 years, we've had a, a case called Lemon. It's, it's well-named. Yeah. It's a horrible case. <laughs> and it's created all this hostility to religion we've seen our whole lives. You know, attacks against nativity scenes and menorahs and and a, a Ten Commandments monument. Why? Because the founders were against it? No, because of this case. And so they brought up in the oral argument on their own that lemon's no good <laughs> and that we don't really follow that anymore. And there was this discussion going on with the justices and they very well might use this case to stop all this hostility to religion that's been going on for 50 years um, and think of what that would do in our schools and our public arenas all across the country. So I think it's clearly going to be about coaches, about teachers, about their rights. But I think it might affect our whole country in broader ways than we even uh, ever really imagined. Coach, I get chills when I'm thinking about this. As Kelly's talking, I'm thinking a coach in a small town in Oregon gets on his knees, voluntarily prays, and the result is one of the most significant religious liberty cases in the country's history happens because you had the guts to pray and not to give up. That is huge. That is huge. Now, there must have been some times when you ask yourself, have I lost my mind? I mean, what am I going to do with all this coming down on me? <laughs> well, I, I really think that uh, 
God's got a really weird sense of humor to use somebody <laughs> like me. <laughs> We're going to have a talk when I get there. I'll probably yeah. listen, but I plan on asking him. Are you nervous about what the decision will be? Well, I really wasn't at, at first. Yeah. I try to, you know, comprehend I put things in the little boxes yeah. there. And, you know, I, I really haven't been able to just process what this really means. But I know that's in the back of my mind that it's, it's there that if I, if I, what happens if I win? Great. But what happens if I lose? Yeah. I mean, that, I don't want people for the next 50 years to go, oh, the Kennedy case and use that against all people of, of all faiths. You know what I'm convinced of? If, if it doesn't go well, I hope it does, praying it does, but if it doesn't, guys like Kelly will be back out there and they'll fight for another one and will ultimately find enough justices who actually read the Constitution. <laughs> Kelly, before you guys get away, I've got to throw in there this week, what an amazing moment at the court when someone leaked uh, a preliminary document. That's never happened in the history of the court. And I don't know that the average person really understands what a big deal that is, what an egregious breach of confidence and confidentiality that is. Yeah, it's, it's like somebody literally shot a rocket into the Supreme Court. I, I'm not sure if they will be able to recover because the ability to exchange opinions and, I mean, this is sort of what's great about America, the marketplace of ideas. They do this within the court. Yeah. Confidentially, they share their thoughts, their opinions, and people change their minds. Well, if that confidentiality is destroyed, that trust is destroyed, I don't know that you can do that the same way. And so there's a real danger that this could really permanently harm our court. But on the other side, if what came out turns out to be true, um, what a monumental uh, time that we're finally moving away from this politicizing of the court where the court acts like a legislature and tells mm -hmm. us what's yes. good and what's bad. That's not their role. Yeah. The, that's the role of the people. And this would return power to the people to make these moral decisions and not five people in a back room in the Supreme Court. This would be a huge return towards our democratic republic and the power that the people have. And people need to know the big lie that had been told by the left is that this would outlaw abortion. It doesn't. It simply gives it back to the states. Some states will have more abortion. Some states won't have any. But it'll be what the people of those states choose it to be through their elected representatives. And it's just been unbelievable that the left has lied about that. Uh, but I'm, I'm just grateful. In this case, we'll probably, I'm guessing, come out in June. We'll see the yes. results. Late uh, We'll all be doing a lot of praying between now and then, but I want to say thanks, Coach Kennedy, to you, Kelly Shackelford, and your great organization. Thank God you're out there, and I mean that. I hope people, if they want to know how they can help uh, stand for something important, help organizations like yours, because without them, Coach Kennedy just gets run over like a truck hit him. So I want you to keep up with Coach Kennedy in this case. Also, Please find out more about First Liberty Institute, a great organization. Here's how. Head to Huckabee.tv. We've got connections on our website directly to First Liberty and to Coach Kennedy. Right now, I'm going to connect you to Keith Bilbrey. He will connect you to the rest of tonight's show. Well, coming up, TV host Mike Rowe. And still to come, award-winning singer Natalie Grant. More Huckabee is on the way.
All right, a little music from Journey, Any Way You Want It, one of the great bands of the 80s, bringing us back in with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Could you give them a big hand right now? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Now, you all know Mike Rowe from the show Dirty Jobs and the other one, Somebody's Gotta Do It. Well, Mike's got a great new show called The Story Behind the Story, airing Saturday nights at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, Right cheer, right cheer on TBN. And it debuts this weekend, right after this show. We recently, oh, it's a good show. You're going to love it. I promise you will. We recently caught up with Mike to chat about the genesis of this new show. Mike, this new series that you're doing is so very exciting. The story behind the story. Uh, tell us about the background. How did this idea come to you? Because you always have some great ideas. I think it's disgusting that you have so many of them. How did this one come? <laughs> well, this one, this one I can't take sole credit for. Uh, but about five years ago, when the podcast world sort of exploded, I thought, well, I should probably do something. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, so I started writing these short stories uh, in the style of Paul Harvey who I'm sure you'll remember did the, uh, you know, the rest Absolutely. of the story. I was writing stories you didn't know about people you do with a surprise reveal at the end. And I was putting them up on my podcast platform and I called it the way I heard it and people liked it. And I kept writing them mostly on planes to pass the time. And then one day, Matt Crouch over at TBN said to mm -hmm. me, pull me aside. You know, we were working on uh, Somebody's Gotta Do It, which had been airing on, on Saturdays for a couple years. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about this new idea. What if I were to take your stories on the podcast and bring them to life visually? And I said, Matt, that's a terrible idea. It'll never work. Uh, these stories are <laughs> made to be listened to, not, not watched. Wrong thing to say to Matt Crouch, uh, Mike. Brother, you never tell him it can't be done. That is the thing. Now, you probably <laughs> learned that a couple years ago. I just learned it for real because he vanishes for a couple of months. Yeah. I don't hear from him. And without my permission, without even talking to me, he takes three of my stories that I had read on a stage in an empty theater, and he brings these stories to life, and he shows them to me months later and says, huh, what do you think? And I looked at him, and I said, you're right, they're pretty good. What do you want to do with them? He said, I don't know. So, so we just started talking about the story behind the story, what, what I left out, what I put in, why I wrote what I wrote. And we realized, I think at the same time, you know, we could probably do a show based on a conversation about the story I wrote on a plane that you brought to life with these recreations. And that's how it happened. And modesty aside, I agree with you. I think they're different and I think they're pretty great. There's that sense of mystery though. And uh, it's an intriguing part of the story. And you're right, it's parts of a person's life that no one's really heard much about. And I think that's what makes it so very riveting. One of the things that's gonna happen after the story is told and the reveal comes is that you and Matt Crouch then will help to sort of give an understanding of what we learn from this story. There, there's more than just the story. Well, there's a lesson. But the funny thing, Mike, is it, it, that was never on my mind. You know, I, I wasn't trying mm. to channel the Bible. I wasn't trying to write yeah. morality plays. I do run a foundation that awards work ethic scholarships, and I spend a lot of time talking about work ethic and delayed gratification, a positive attitude, personal responsibility. 
those themes resonate with TBN. And whether yeah. I meant to or not, a lot of those themes find their way into these tales. Ruminations on persistence, for instance. Mad scientists trying to build a better mousetrap, whatever that may be. Great musicians finding inspiration in the most unlikely of places. Those are the things that I, that I want to share. And while it's difficult to talk about them in terms of promoting the show, it's really fun to unpack them with a guy like Matt, who's not shy at all, as you may have noticed, about telling me why he <laughs> thinks I wrote my story. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Gee, you've never noticed that about him before. <laughs> right. Yeah, if, if we could just I, I get him out of his shell, yeah. right? I think he's going to be. Yeah, right. I think it's going to be a dynamite show. I'm so thrilled that it is following the Huckabee Show on Saturdays on TBN for the simple reason that I think there are going to be a lot of people tuning into your show. They'll tune in early and they'll catch at least the latter part of it. That, that's wonderful. Governor, so, I couldn't ask Mike, for a better lead-in. Thank you. <laughs> well, no, it, it's, it's a, a wonderful one-two punch. I think we're all excited about it. I certainly am. And uh, it's going to be a hit. Mike, thank you for visiting with us about it. Thanks for having me. Great to see you again. Mike Rose new series, The Story Behind the Story, airs Saturday nights at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on TBN. Stick around after Huckabee or set those DVRs. A lot more information is available at Huckabee.tv. Keith Bilbrey is standing over there all by himself, but he's got the story behind our story tonight. He's going to share a little bit of that right now. Well, next, stand-up comedy laughs with Sean Reynolds plus barbecue world champion Myron Mixon. Stay with Huckabee. Welcome back. My next guest is a nationally touring Christian comedian and the father of six. So he better have a sense of humor, right? <laughs> He's also the founder of Stand Up for Adoption, and he hosts a dry bar special called Got Room for One More. I say we need to make room for Sean Reynolds right now. Hello, hello, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I, I'm going to tell you a true story tonight. It's 100% true. And I believe this story is a great example of how in our lives, how we can meticulously make plans, right? We got our short-term goals and our long-term goals and our one-year plan and our three-year plan. And then, and then God will come along and go, yeah, um, we're not going to be doing any of that. <laughs> And as scary as it can be, we know amazing things can happen when we do follow his plan, even if it is kicking and screaming. About 10 years ago, my wife came home from work. She was a daycare center worker, and she came home, and she goes, we need to talk. And as a veteran of the husband community, I know we need to talk is never a good thing. We need to talk is never followed by, you need to be watching more football. It's never that. It's never that. And she begins to tell me about this little boy at her center, a little three-year-old boy named Keegan. She'd been worried about him, and uh, he was in a tough spot. He had a single teenage mom. She was having major struggles in her life. And on this particular day, Keegan's mom tells my wife that she has to relinquish her parental rights 
and she has to put him into the foster care system. And my wife goes, and I think we should adopt him. And an alarm of no's went off in my head. I'm like, no, I wish that wasn't true, right? But in my head, I'm like, we already had four at the time. We're a paycheck to paycheck family. We don't have a big house, right? But I didn't say any of that. What came out of my mouth was, you know what? I can tell this is important to you. Why don't we get the kids settled? We'll go to a restaurant and we can talk about it. And I know right now, some of you are going, well, well, that was the Holy Spirit right there. That was the Holy Spirit working right there is what that was. But it wasn't. I told you this is a true story. And the truth is, I love to eat out. And I saw this as a perfect excuse to go eat out. And I wanted a public place to tell her no. So we get the kids settled, we're in the car, we're driving. She let me pick the restaurant. We live in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a million restaurants. So we get inside the restaurant, it's packed. We get seated in the middle of the restaurant. Server comes up, she's very bubbly. Hi, my name's Shannon, I'll be taking care of you today. Let me get your drink order. Do you want me to bring you out some bread? You know, in my head, I'm like, open with the bread, Shannon. Like, are people saying no to the bread? If so, bring us their bread too. So we give her our drink orders and she leaves. And now my wife is sitting across from me And right before she started to talk, she whipped around and looked behind her and she looked back at me and she turned white as a sheet. It looked like she'd just seen a ghost. She turns around again and she looks back at me again and now she has tears in her eyes. And I'm like, what's the matter? And she goes, Sean, do you see the older couple sitting behind us? And I said, yeah. And she goes, do you see the little boy at the table with them? And I go, yeah. And she goes, Sean, that little boy at the table is Keegan the exact time, the exact place, and the exact location inside that place that we chose to have a conversation about this little boy, there he was. He was sitting five feet from us. And now my wife is just bawling at the table. And she's like, what's happening right now? She goes, say something. What is happening right now? And I reached my hand across the table and I held her hand and I said, I believe what's happening right now is that Shannon has forgot about our bread. (laughs) I mean, is she back there making it from scratch? (laughs) Apparently, it's gonna take a second miracle in this restaurant tonight to get some bread to this table. (laughs) We obviously, uh, we didn't talk about adopting Keegan during this meal, mostly because he was sitting five feet behind us, but also because it didn't seem like there was much to discuss. And so we left the restaurant that night with two very important things. One, we left with a bag of that bread, right? (laughs) It's what I do. And two, we left with the knowledge knowing uh, that God had a plan for us and that we were gonna have a fifth child in our family. And in fact, in the middle of the meal, I I leaned over and I snapped a quick picture of him and I slid my phone over to my wife and I go, look, it's the ultrasound picture. (laughs) Surprise, it's a boy. Hey, I'm Sean Reynolds. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was just ready to bawl and cry, and then you said about Shannon bringing you the bread. Man, that's that's good comedy. That is great comedy. I appreciate it. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. It's great and, to be here. And it's a great story that how God has used uh, even your comedy act to help people understand about the power of family and adoption. Yeah, power of family adoption, and also when God reveals tough things to you, 
to step into it because I can tell you right now, we had four at the time. I had no plan to be adopting a fifth child and, and uh, amazing things have happened from, from doing that. Well, amazing things have happened with us here tonight with you being here. Please check out Sean's hilarious dry bar comedy special and a lot more funny videos, social media links, and booking info. You might want to have him in your community or your church, and you can go to Huckabee.tv. We have links to everything about Sean. Right now, we're going to link you over to Keith Bilbrey. He'll tell you what's coming up. Coming up, you don't want to miss this. Barbecue pitmaster Myron Mixon is going to teach me how to smoke brisket. This will be good. Looking for the perfect gift? Go to shop.huckabee.tv to get your Huckabee fan made in the USA mugs, t-shirts, and more. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is going to be a fun time, I guarantee you. Myron Mixon is the winningest man in barbecue. Get this, 1,800 trophies, 30 state championships, 11 national championships, and this is a biggie. I live in Arkansas right next to Memphis. Let me tell you something. Five grand champion titles at the World Barbecue Championships in Memphis. That, my friend, is a big deal. It's like the World Series, winning it five times. Please welcome Myron Mixon. Myron, great to have you here. What an honor. And what a thrill. Look at this big old knife right here. That sucker is huge. Now, earlier today, you and Keith Bilberry, y'all went out and did a little cooking out on the lawn, didn't you? We did. We did. We just started out with a Wagyu brisket. A Wagyu a brisket. A Wagyu. We spared no expense for you, Governor. Well, you must have spared it because I hadn't had any yet. So <laughs> we better have some here, I'll tell you we that. We will. We will. So did, did you teach Keith anything? Well, let me tell you something. You gave me a Keith. Yeah. And I'm giving you back a pitmaster. Ooh. Oh, I've heard him called a lot of things. That ain't one of them right there. We'll have to see about that. We figured that if we're ever going to find a person to teach him how to smoke a brisket properly, it's going to be you. And you spent the better part of the afternoon showing him how to do it. I think we ought to just first, before we taste anything, let's take a look at how that went. Let's do it. Keith. The governor has put me in charge of trying to make a barbecue man out of you today. It's it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, I can use a foreman grill and, and a Keurig, and that's about it. I'm good, but I don't know if I'm that good. <laughs> oh, you are. I know you are. All right, what we got today, we got Wagyu brisket. Uh-huh. Top of the line, highest marbling there is. And very expensive. Very expensive. So we can't mess it up. I said, right, no, you can't mess it up. <laughs> I'm showing you, you got to execute. Okay, all right. First thing we got to do, always remember this, we got our rubs and seasoning that go on at the end. Rub and seasoning does not stick to fat, so we got to always make sure we take the silver skin and the fat off. Okay. Just like we're doing here. Now, this is the flat, F-L-A-T. This uh -huh. is where the slices are going to come from. We're going to roll it over. Right here's the point. Everybody's heard of the burn ends. This is the point, the fattiest part of the brisket. This is gonna be where our burn ends come from. Uh -huh. This is the most tastiest part. So now that we've got it trimmed up, it's time to inject. We got our injection right here. It's a little beef au mixture I made up. Yeah, I like that. When you inject, always inject with the grain. It helps it flow through the meat. 
If you go across the grain, it doesn't flow as easily. That makes sense. So always inject with the grain. So start injecting. Look at it like a grid pattern. How deep do I put it? Just to make sure you cover the holes there so it don't spurt back and hit you in the eyes. Oh, that would be bad. That would be very that, bad. That, but it would be funny. Go ahead, mash it. Ooh. You want to do about half of the injection on this side, we'll roll it over and do the other half on the other side. Hit more on our hand, I'm gonna roll it. I'm gonna roll it. Whoa. All right. Don't mess up them sands of belt slacks you yeah. got on. <laughs> All right, now. Do the yeah, same you do. thing here? Yeah, you do. Go with the grain. See the grain? Yeah. All right. How I knew it was going to happen sooner or later. Do I need goggles over here? Yeah, I think so. Remind me of Gallagher. <laughs> All right. Now we got our injection. It's time to put our rubs on. Okay. Got a little bit of vegetable oil. That's all you need. What that's going to do is allow our rubs to adhere uh -huh. to the meat, plus it gives a good mahogany color. And we'll let you apply the rub. Just lay it on. Huh? Lay it on. That's our, my hickory rub. Now we're going to do layers. Okay. This is my wild game rub. It's got a few herbs in it. It makes it really tasty. And always remember this. Beef needs salt and it needs heat. Yeah. We've got a little bit of heat in the hickory rub and we've got hickory salt here to finish it off. All right. Got it? Look at that. Now when you apply and get this in, all I want you to do is push it down. Don't okay. do this because it'll be uneven. Push Just push it down. Push it down. All right, now we're going to roll it and get the top last. Always do your top last. Okay. That'll be the flat. I'm going to do the oil. Look at that. Now don't you feel proud? I, I am truly proud. So the next thing we got to do, we got our smoker. Okay. Looking at the smoker, the right hand side is generally hotter. Mm -hmm. You want the thick end down here, the point, the fatty part, okay. to go down there to that end. Here you go. All right. If fatty you drop part. it, the whole world's dependent on you. Don't <laughs> drop it. Now look at that. All right, let your lid down and put it to bed. Good night. Now, two hours from now, we're going to take it. It's going to have the bark on the outside. It's going to have the smoke we need, the color we want. We're going to pan it, wrap it in foil. Put it back on the smoker at 300 degrees and run it until we get 205 degrees at that point and turn on temp. Mm -hmm. Then it's done. I so, never knew so all Keith, this was involved. I think I've done the governor justice. I have trained you well. Do I get a certificate or badge? We'll wait and see how it turns out tonight for dinner. <laughs>
It's cut in half. Mm. Yeah. I cut it with the grain. Mm. Oh, that cuts that. with the grain. Wow. Now, down here is the point. This is going to be where the fatty's at, you know, where the where most the, flavor. Where the taste is. Uh-huh. Those burnt ends, to... man, that sets you free. Ooh, is your burnt There's your burnt ends right there on the bottom. lovely seal. part. Yes, yeah. sir. Wow. Mm. And, and, I, and I did this. I mean. Try that guy. Oh. How is that working? Wait a minute. We've lost him. We've totally lost him. Now, Governor, take that, dip it in the au jus that come out of the brisket. We reserved that and saved it. Now, taste it with the au jus. Yeah. That's another level. Boy, that sure looks good over there. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that another level? Yeah. I don't want any sauce. That's too good to put sauce oh. Keith got a plate. I, my hands are working fine. I don't need the plate. Forget the plate. Man, that's good. <laughs> Folks, I'm telling you, this is phenomenal stuff. You got two of your cookbooks here, here right? Uh -huh. Yes, I got three of the five that I have. My latest is keto. Uh, keto? I, I started this, doing these recipes for keto. I weighed 347 pounds. And I'm down now, weigh like 242. You lost 100 pounds eating barbecue. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. For sure. But it can be done. And the thing is, it's food mm. that I like. I love proteins. That's a big part of it. But there's some veggies you can do, some fruits. This is great stuff. Myron is everywhere. But most importantly, he's here with us. And if you want to see his show, sign up for his barbecue school. I do. Or get linked up for anything else for Myron Mixon. Mm -mm. Go to Huckabee.tv. Because we have, love this, all the hot links. How about that? <laughs> After the break. The inspiring story of singer Natalie Grant. Stay with us, but we're going to eat bar barbecue and brisket. Join Mike's guest next week, conservative activist Brandon Strzok and Emmy Award-winning The Texas Tenors. Welcome back. Okay, I'll be honest. I'm still thinking about that brisket man. But I got to tell you this. There's only one thing that could probably get my mind off the brisket, and that's our next guest, Natalie Grant. She is a Christian music five-time double award-winning female vocalist, a nine-time Grammy nominee with over 500 million streams and multiple Billboard number one albums and singles. Natalie's also a successful author and philanthropist. She's got a brand new album. It's called No Stranger. Would you please give a warm greeting to Natalie Grant? I've decided what I'm going to do is let you interview yourself. I'm going to go back there and chase that meat truck. I'm trying to figure out why I got on after the brisket segment. Yeah. <laughs> I, all I can tell you is, darling, you better be good tonight because you got I a Wagyu brisket to follow up. I that from backstage. That looked amazing. This, this new album is uh, pretty cool because you've already been nominated for a Grammy over Thank this. Thank you. What's, what's the key behind this? You know, I think uh, with this album in particular, my husband is my uh, producer and a songwriter. Um, but this one, we kind of said, man, if we could just 
you know, take all of the opinions of what everybody said, okay, yeah. well, this has to be for radio and this has to be, and what would we want to do? Mm. And he said, I want to go to London and record the London Symphony. Whoa. And so that's what we did. Um, obviously, this was in 2019 <laughs> before everything <laughs> shut down. But then what happened is that these songs that we recorded and wrote in 2019, 2020 happened, the world shut down, and my husband and I were just stuck in our house. And we just started doing songs on our iPhone, you know, from our piano in the living room. And we started to sing these songs that you think, goodness, we didn't know what we were gonna be facing, that we're not alone, that he's no stranger to what we're walking through, but God knew. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the message in 2020 was, was just exactly what people needed. And I think they just resonated with Before it. Before you sing, I've got to ask you about Hope for Justice, a nonprofit <laughs> yes. organization that you created. Yeah. Uh, near and dear to your heart. Very dear. Um, in 2004, I never thought I would say that Law & Order changed my life, but that's my favorite TV show. <laughs> Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Yeah. Um, next to Huckabee, of course. I mean, of course. I'm good recovery. Close. Close. Very close. good close. recovery, close. Natalie. Close. <laughs> um, but uh, they were doing an episode, goodness, back in 2004 on something called human trafficking. I'd yeah. never heard of it before. Um, it led me to do a Google search, which led me to India, which led me to start a nonprofit. And that was back in 2005. And what was honestly a God nudge, I think sometimes God is asking us to do something and it doesn't make any sense. And before he even lays out the plan, he just wants our obedience. And that's what I gave him. And this past year, we helped 115,000 kids. We're in 22 wow. offices and 15 nations. It's incredible. You know, God gave you a great voice, an amazing voice, and this incredible platform. And then that you're using it. Uh, to help people that a lot of folks mm -hmm. don't even know are there. Mm, what a, a blessing. Keith, a I know that you can tell us how we can get Natalie Grant's great music <laughs> and also connect to the wonderful organization, Hope for Justice. Tell us about it. To stream or purchase Natalie's album, No Stranger, as well as information on Hope for Justice, just go to Huckabee.tv for all the links. While you're there, be sure to watch Natalie's online exclusive performance of Who Else? Now... Here to sing is Natalie Grant. I try to fit you in the walls inside my mind. I try to keep you safely in between the lines I try to put you in the box that I've designed I try to pull you down so we are eye to eye but when did I forget you've always been the king of the world? I try to take life back right out of the hands of the king of the world. How could I make you so small when you're the one who holds it all? When did I forget? You've always been the king of the world Just a whisper of 
your voice it can tame the sea so who am i to try to take the lead oh yes still i run ahead and i think that i'm strong enough oh, when you're the one who Try to take life back right out of the hands of the king of the world. How could I make you so small when you're the one who holds it all? When did I forget you've always been the king of the world? Oh, you've said it all. moment you brought it all to be your hope Forget that you 